Well, we've been working our way through the first epistle of St. Paul to the church in Corinth. And it's in this letter that the Apostle Paul says, you know, he kind of states the obvious. He says the message of the cross is a scandal. And it certainly was a scandal in the first century. But he also says that even the message of the cross is the power of God for salvation. And today we come to a text where he makes the claim that the power of God for salvation can actually touch our bodies, our, our, our bodies. So let's look at that together. I'd invite you to open up a Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20, which if you're grabbing in the Pew Bible, you'll find on page 929. And if you're able, wherever you are, let's stand together and read God's word aloud as an act of worship. When we're done reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading God's holy word. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Should I therefore take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that whoever is united to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is said, the two shall be one flesh. But anyone united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Shun fornication. Every sin that a person commits is outside the body, but the fornicator sins against the body itself. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. So leave the book open. Let's uh, refer to it as we talk about it together. But notice here, it's another text that takes us back to our Lenten prayer. Look at verse 20. You were bought with a, a price. Okay, that's the cross. You were bought with a price. And then look above it, verse 19. You are not your own. That's crossing out the eye. So right, there's the prayer. Please, God, cross out the eye. Now, if you're just joining us, this is a prayer we've learned from an African pastor who taught it to a British missionary named Helen Rosevere. Helen Rosevere had a body. Do I need to tell you that? And she had a whole set of experiences with that body. And she brought her body uh, to Africa, to Congo Zaire. Uh, it was a white body. It was a female body. It was a single body. And it would be a wounded body. And ultimately, she came to the limits of her body. And that's where she sat by a fire with the pastor and his wife. And he taught her this prayer. He said, Helen, while you're waiting for your tea to cool in the morning, pray this prayer. Please, God, cross out the eye. What he knew 
because he reads the Apostle Paul, is that there's something that happens on the cross that changes our relationship to our own bodies. And I want to talk about that change with you this morning as we reflect on this passage. And I'll talk about it in three ways. Stewardship, sexuality, and redemption. Stewardship, sexuality, and redemption. All right, you ready? They're, they're telling me they're ready in the room. So uh, put it in the chat if you're ready. Here we go. Let's start with stewardship. Number one, the body is not a problem to overcome, but a resource to steward. You could write that down. The body is not a problem to overcome, but a resource to steward. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, you've got a great body. Go ahead. Turn to your neighbor. Say it. You've got a, yeah. All right. Other way, other way. You've got a great body. Oh, this is a good sound in the room. Yeah, you can get the phone number later. Um, just make that point. Now, why did you just say that to somebody? Because of the cross. Because you, you know this, the value of something is what the highest bidder is willing to pay for it. Look at that. This is what, this is what your body is worth. Peter says, you were not bought with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why you could say that. What a great body. I, I know what it's worth to God in heaven because I'm looking at the cross. Now, you and I, somewhere along the way, have picked up a lot of unhelpful ideas about our bodies. And the Apostle Paul is confronting some of those ideas here in this letter. What we've learned from scholars is that the Corinthians have written Paul a letter. We don't have it, but we have some quotations from their letter, we think, in this passage. And that's why translators have inserted some quotation marks. If you look carefully, you'll see verse 12, verse 13, and some translations, verse 18. These aren't things Paul believes. These are unhelpful ideas that the Corinthians uh, believe, and Paul is actually confronting them here. And what I want you to understand is that there are really two ways to think about your body. There's the Greek way, and there's the Hebrew way. The Greek way and the Hebrew way. So the Greek way of thinking about the body is that it's a problem to overcome See, for the Greeks, the material world, this stuff, it wasn't the real stuff. It was the flawed stuff. It was a kind of a dim shadow of reality, which is invisible in the heavens. It, it, it was kind of a, 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 a poor knockoff of the real thing. And that was true of their bodies as well as they thought. So you go, well, wait a minute. The Greeks, they left us these beautiful sculptures, right, of the perfect human form. And they're all over the place. And, and, yeah, and that's just the point. They were the perfect human form. They were not their bodies. They were the bodies that they thought they should have. They were the bodies up somewhere in eternity. And so what would it be like to live in ancient Greece and walk around and see all these perfect bodies? You know, you're walking back with your pot belly and there's the six-pack abs. You know, you're Homer Simpson and there's Adonis. You know, you, the contrast is overwhelming. And this is what it was to, to be a Greek person. They loved bodies, but they loved ideal bodies. And here's the point. As long as you can only love a perfect body, you're never going to love your body. Right? That's a problem. That's the problem that comes with Greek thinking. Now, the Hebrews thought differently. The Hebrew thoughts about the body was that the body was not a problem to overcome, but a resource to steward. 
Uh, the body is a resource to steward. Th this physical stuff here in the Hebrews thought, this is the real world. This is the good world. This is God's world right here. Genesis 1, God made it and it was good. This is good. This is good. Your body is good. Your neighbor's body is good. My body, it's good. That's the way God thinks about it. It's part of this good creation that comes into being in Genesis chapter 1. We should think about it like other parts of creation, like, like a rainforest or uh, a wildlife preserve, something to steward. And Paul's referred to himself as a steward in, in chapter 4. And now the body is to be stewarded as well. It's to be cared for. It's to be nurtured. It's to be, it's, we do whatever we can to f help it flourish. It doesn't belong to us. It's more valuable than that. It belongs to God. So you say, well, wait a minute. Doesn't the Bible say we're supposed to resist the flesh? What's that all about? First of all, no, the Bible never says that. That you're to resist the flesh. But the Bible does use a Greek word. Notice this comes from the Greeks, not the Hebrews. A Greek word that sometimes can mean your body. We see this in verse 16. Paul uses that. Uh, but it's more common, particularly in Paul's writing, not to have any reference to the physical body at all, but to refer to the sinful nature. Actually, the new NIV refers to it always as the sinful nature. This meaning of the word flesh is the human self in its state of alienation from God. So Paul can talk about the sins of the flesh, and he's not talking about physical things. He's talking about like sins of the flesh are pride and um, anger and quarreling, they don't have anything to do with your body. They have to do with your, your sinful nature. So no, uh, we're not supposed to resist or confront or change our bodies. The Bible doesn't call us to that. It calls us rather to think Hebrew, to th see our bodies as good, uh, to, 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 to be stewards of our bodies. And this is what Paul is saying. You know, love the body that you've been given. Notice the theology. If you read this text carefully, you'll see there's rich Trinitarian theology in here. The Father raises your body. The Son unites to your body. The Spirit resides in your body. Oh my gosh, Father, Son, and Spirit means your little body is caught up in this wonderful drama. Because it's good. It's a resource to steward. I'm not talking about ideal bodies. I'm talking about my body and your body. With all of its limitations and frailties. Know your body is a resource to steward. Every shape, every size, every color, every state of health or unhealth. So think about how would I, how would I care about my body? It's talking, uh, so, here, so just notice verse 11. Here's Paul's thought. The body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. Verse 11. Verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? And that, that word members actually mean literally body parts. Your body is a body part of Christ, like it's an eyeball or a foot or something like that. So we're talking with one of our young adults recently about this, and she goes, wow, what would it be like if I actually considered my body that way? If I actually cared for my body as though I were caring for Christ? Think about how that might change. How would I care for my body that way? What would I do with my body if I thought that way? Uh, what would he do with my body? How would I give it away uh, the way he gives his away? How would I help it in, to flourish? See, uh, I was, uh, when I was a boy, I, I used to care for parakeets, little birds. And I love these little birds, try to teach them to talk. One time I went away for vacation for a week and I gave it to the girl next door to, to take care of it. When I came back, she gave me the seed and the supplies and the cage was perfectly cleaned out. I said, where's the bird? She said, oh, the bird died. 
I said, what? She said, yeah, it, it died. Well, how did I? I don't know, it just died, it just died. I said, well, for 52 weeks of the year, the bird is with me and it's fine. The one week you take the bird, it dies. What are the odds of that? I mean, I wasn't very nice, right? And this body, just think about it. You've been given this body. You've been entrusted with this body in order to care for it, to help it flourish. Your body's not a problem to overcome, but a resource to steward. That's the first point. And when we think that way, when we think Hebrew about our bodies, it starts to change the way we think about sexuality. So let's come to the second point, sexuality. Something else to write down? Sex is not the satisfaction of our bodies, but the yearning of our souls. This might be a little bit different the way you think about it. Sex is not the satisfaction of our bodies, but the yearning of our souls. A few years ago, I was struck by a New York Times article written by a young adult named Caitlin Beatty. And the headline said, how should Christians have sex? It was totally clickbait and worked for me. I'm like, oh, how? I don't know, let me read. In this article, Caitlin Beatty says this, I yearn for guidance, this is a young adult, I yearn for guidance on how to integrate faith and sexuality in ways that honor more than my own desires in a given moment. It's interesting. How do I integrate my faith with my sexuality? How do I get past just honoring my own desires? I want something more. What she wanted was something that would get past the who and the when and the what of sex to really the why. What's the why behind it? What's the meaning of sexuality? As you read the article, you'll see she's saying, you know, it's not enough in her conservative church growing up just to get this message of yes or no. And it's not enough, and it's so often the case in progressive churches today, to just baptize casual sex as a form of self-expression. And it's not enough, as we're trying to wrestle in secular society today, uh, to derive a, a sexual ethic of consent. I want to know what's behind this. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's actually working on the why questions, right? He, what's behind this? He says, notice, by the way, how he moves so quickly from a citation of Genesis 2, uh, where he's talking about two, two married people, to the cross, to the spirituality of sex for all Christians. Look at, look, look, he says, the two shall be one flesh, but if anyone is united to the Lord, anyone united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Anyone. It's like what he's saying. He's like, okay, after the cross, the union of two bodies points to something deeper, to something greater. The union of two bodies points to the union of a believer with the Lord. They become one spirit with the Lord. Okay, so this doesn't just happen in the bedroom for married people. He's saying anyone, anyone. The suggestion is here, as you read Paul, that the goal isn't to get people into heterosexual marriage. The goal is to get people into Jesus. That's the goal for us. That's the goal of our sexuality. So sexuality, what is it? In the Bible, here's my definition. Sexuality is the yearning of the human soul for completion. It's the yearning of the human soul for completion. The word sex, the English word sex, comes from the Latin root secare, which means to separate, sever, cut off. To be sexed is to be cut off or incomplete. I mean, even our physical bodies tell us this, uh, that, that we're only half of the story, each of us individually. 
And we read this in the Bible as well, from the very beginning, Genesis 1. The image of God is divided into male and female. You can't get a, a, a full reflection of God from either one gender. They're incomplete. In Genesis 2, the story, it's not good for the human to be alone. There's a sense of incompleteness that's there. So you might ask, well, why would God intentionally build incompleteness into our bodies? It's so frustrating. And the answer is, so that we'll pursue ultimate completion in him, in God. Listen to the way C.S. Lewis starts. This is a little bit of an argument for, for God in his book, Mere Christianity. He writes, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger, well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, well, there is such a thing as water. Uh, humans feel sexual desire, well, there is such a thing as sex. But here he goes, watch this. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. That's for God. Sex at its best is meant to point beyond itself to God. This is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter five. He says this is a mystery. When two become one, like Christ and his church, you will never find completion in your sexual experiences. And the goal for all of us, whether we're sexually active or not, is not to overcome our incompleteness, but to learn how to live with it and to pursue God with it. Remember, Paul says, anyone united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. That's even deeper. So what do we do with our sexuality? And what would you say to Caitlin Beatty about faith and sexuality? Well, it's focus on the deeper satisfaction. Focus on the deeper satisfaction. Like, for example, we do with hunger. And Paul refers to hunger here. It's probably he's quoting the Corinthians at this point when they talk about food for the stomach. Hunger becomes a kind of an analogy for us, doesn't it? I, I was on, a, on the phone call recently with a friend, and I'm at work, and we're talking, and all of a sudden I realize he's not talking to me anymore. I hear him say, yeah, I'll take a frappuccino, I'll take a breakfast sandwich, and ooh, I'll take two donuts. And I, I'm wiping drool off the surface of my desk at that point. I'm, I'm, I'm so hungry. And what do I do? I, I got, you know, three options, right? I could just starve and say, food's for, not for me, or I could do the drawer dive, you know that, I, like I keep, there's probably like an old cinnamon roll from three years ago, somewhere in the bottom of my drawer, I can pull that out and, and eat that, or Pop-Tart's my favorite choice, uh, or I could uh, focus on dinner, which is coming in a, a few hours, and, and Rich Viotis talks about these three ways of engaging with food and dealing with our own hunger as ways that we get better insight into how we should engage with our, our sexuality and spirituality. Rich Viotis in his book, A Deeply Formed Life, describes three kinds of diets. The starvation diet, the fast food diet, and the banquet. The, the starvation diet is the repression of sexuality. Basically saying, don't do it, don't talk about it, don't think about it, like it doesn't exist. The fast food diet is the reduction of sexuality. To, to, to take that spiritual longing and reduce it to a physical longing as if to say, well, if you desire something, then you deserve to satisfy that desire. If it feels right, go for it. That's fast food. And you know, we don't live uh, very long on fast food. Ultimately, the goal is to, 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 to think of the banquet, 
The banquet is a robust sexuality, which doesn't just fill your belly, but it fills your soul. It nourishes your soul. And at banquet, the banquet is where our sexuality points us to communion with God and to communion with one another. Now you go, is that just a spiritual thing? No, that's Greek thinking. This is physical as well. The Hebrew thinking says it's about presence. It's about friendship. It's about appropriate touch. And this is something all of us can engage with. By the way, I highly recommend Rich Viotis' book, Deeply Formed Life. Um, But my point here is you can have an embodied experience of intimacy with God in Jesus Christ and with other believers. Now this is no matter who you are. And I know, I know who I'm talking to today. I'm talking with some of us are obsessed with sex. Some of us could care less about sex. Some of us are young. Some of us are old. Some of us are single. Some of us are married. Some of us have same-sex attractions. Some of us don't. But all of us are sexual beings. And God is calling all of us to a deeper satisfaction beyond sexual stimulation to a kind of a social or spiritual experience of sexuality, communion with God and communion with one another. This is not something you get in the bedroom. Uh, This is something you get in in the sanctuary as we gather around the communion table where we're made one with the Lord and one with one another. So the question is then, how do we begin to live with our own incompleteness together, if that makes sense? How do we begin to allow our sense of our own incompleteness, that's sometimes a deep yearning, gnawing sense, groaning sense of our incompleteness, how do we allow that to pursue Jesus together? What I'm saying here is that sex is not the satisfaction of our bodies, but the yearning of our souls. Now, We don't always get this right. Um, I know I haven't always gotten it right. And when we fail, we can turn to redemption. So this is the third point, redemption. It's not what happens to your body that gets the last word, but what happens to his. Boy, if you write anything down, write that down. It's not what happens to your body that gets the last word, but what happens to his. This is the message of the cross. God in Jesus is redeeming human bodies. And that's the big surprise of this text in verse 20. You were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. This is the cross. And he borrows, as he, as he tries to interpret the cross for, for this community, language from the ancient slave trade. You know, ancient slaves could be redeemed, and that meant somebody would pay a price to buy the slave, and in this case, for freedom, to set the slave free. This is a metaphor for what's happened to us at the cross. Jesus pays the price to purchase our bodies and set them free. So let me just briefly explore that with you first. God in Jesus is redeeming a corporate body. This is a social body. This gets to justice and what it means to live with one another as stewards of each other's bodies. As Paul writes, the church, this church is filled with a lot of problems. Bodies are being misused in the bedroom. Bodies are being divided by wealth and poverty. There are female bodies that are struggling for equal footing with male bodies. Some bodies in this church are being honored. Some are being shamed. You read this when you read the whole letter, you see this. But Paul's saying Jesus gave his body to redeem this whole body, the whole church in Corinth, this new society. He paid the price to set it free, to bring it, this new reality into existence corporately. And I've been thinking about us, 
this past week, as I've been studying this text, I've been struck by how many of our conversations today are really about our bodies, right? Think about it. Right now, body counts. Black bodies, brown bodies, white bodies, male bodies, female bodies, vaccinated bodies, unvaccinated bodies, old bodies, young bodies, unborn bodies, being in the wrong body, beautiful bodies, invisible bodies, police bodies, homeless bodies, which bodies have a voice, which get paid more, bodies. And the truth is that we're not just stewards of our own bodies, but we're stewards of each other's bodies. Your body belongs to God, not just mine. Her body belongs to God, his body belongs to God. And we corporately have a responsibility to be stewards. To, to care for each other's bodies, to see that each other's bodies have a way to flourish. See, Jesus gave his body to redeem this whole corporate body. He paid the price to bring freedom. Secondly, God in Jesus is redeeming our individual bodies. And I know, I know this is a hard conversation for us because all of us struggle with our bodies. There is not a person who is watching this right now who is not struggling in some way with their own body. And I don't know what this brings up for you, but I want you to know, whatever it is, Jesus gave his body on the cross to pay the price for your body, to set your body free. And you can claim that truth today and go back to a different reality today. Jesus said the son of man came to give his life a ransom for many. That's his mission statement, isn't it? He came to pay the price to set bodies free. It's not what happens to your body that gets the last word, but what happens to his body. You know, the one that died on a cross, was buried, the third day rose again from the dead, the one that ascended at heaven, and the one that sits right right now at the right hand of glory in a place of honor. Your body, is it in Christ there now? If it is, it's going to change the way you live. Please, God, cross out the I. When we pray that prayer, we say to ourselves, you got a great body. We acknowledge that we are yearning for a deeper satisfaction that can only be found in Jesus. And we claim the promise of our body's redemption. And so as we pray that prayer, there's a practice that comes with that this week. Uh, If you haven't downloaded the Lent guide, go to upc.org slash Lent. And our practice this week is fasting. You go, fasting? Yeah, it's, you know, it's actually a very traditional Lenten practice. What it is, is it's saying no to your body in some small way so that you can say yes to Jesus in some larger way. Saying no. Identifying an area. So I wonder if you'll fast in some way with me uh, this week, there's some instructions for that in the Lent guide. But uh, the, the point of it is, is to try to make deeper connection with the Father who's raised your body, will raise your body, the, the Son who's united with it, and the Holy Spirit who dwells inside. Cross out the eye, God, so that there could be more of you. And the message of the cross is, ultimately, your God is in your struggle with you right now. He pays the price. He says, you're free. And I want to end with this question. Will you let him do that for you today? 
for your body. Maybe you've made some bad decisions with your body. I know I have. We all have. But Jesus offers forgiveness and a fresh start. You were bought with a price. I know a lot of us have suffered abuse at the hands of others. But Jesus offers compassion and restoration. You were bought with a price. Maybe you're facing a deadly diagnosis today. But Jesus offers healing. And on the other side of death, resurrection of the body. You were bought with a price. I know a lot of us are caught in the slavery of addiction, but Jesus offers power and deliverance. You were bought with a price. Maybe your body has been oppressed by racism or poverty, but Jesus offers justice and honor. You were bought with a price. I know we struggle with dark thoughts and temptations, but Jesus offers empathy and courage and grace. You were bought with a price. We pray with me? Please, God, we pray, cross out our eye. Thank you that it's not what happens to our bodies that gets the last word, but it's what happens, happened to Jesus' body. Thank you for the cross. We confess that it's what we've done to our bodies, ours and others, that has made the cross necessary. We're horrified by it. But in some way, we also are here to, to say we need it And we're drawn to it, drawn to the love that makes it possible, drawn to the one who in love contends for our bodies against sin and death, against the powers of darkness, and takes them down to eternal defeat with him only to rise the third day in victory. Thank you that we're not alone in our struggle, but that on the cross we see you in our struggle. Thank you that you redeem our bodies. Now, friends, I'm going to give you an opportunity as I invite you to keep your head bowed in prayer to let Jesus pay the price for your body, to let him pay for you. The Bible says if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Come come say yes, and he will bear your sin in his body. Come say yes, and he will pay the wages, the ransom for your sin before the Father. Come say yes and he will cancel the certificate of debt against you. By his wounds you will be healed. In Christ you will be a new creation. The old things passed away and the new come. So I'm just gonna ask you to take a moment in the event that you're hearing another voice other than mine trusting that it could be the voice of Jesus speaking through his Holy Spirit and his word to ask you if you're ready to say yes to Jesus and trust him with your body, you would just take a moment and raise your physical hand. No one's looking. Go ahead and raise your hand. Yes, thank you. He sees that. Thank you. Yes, thank you. This is a moment that Jesus has brought us here because he wants to touch us physically. Don't miss this opportunity to say yes to Jesus, to begin perhaps a new relationship with Jesus as he wants with you. If you're online, press the raise hand button. Let him see your faith. Then I'm gonna ask you to do two other things. One is just really simple. I'd like you to tell someone today that you've raised your hand, that you've said yes to Jesus. Uh, I'd like for you to fill out a contact card if you're online. You can pick that out of the chat or you can go to upc.org slash Jesus. Or if you're here in the room with me, come to the front after the service and pray with our prayer team and, and tell them that you're saying yes to Jesus. 
I'd like for you to give us your contact information because I want to send you a gift that will help you grow. Second thing I want to ask you to do right now is simply to pray. To pray the prayer that is so simple and easy to prayer and yet it's so profound in its effect because it opens to us all the promises of God in Jesus Christ. It's a prayer that if you pray today will make you a Christian and give you the assurance that your body will one day be raised as well. Pray with me this way, quietly in your heart. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for paying the wages for my sin. I give all that I know of me to all that I know of you and ask you to be my Savior and Lord. I open my life to the gift and power of your Holy Spirit and joyfully await the redemption of my body. I pray in your name, amen.